Shall we open the Word of God together at Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 19 as we continue this fourth and last message on Melchizedek and Jesus Christ, our great high priest, high prophet, and high king forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 19. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that which is inside the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, made a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after, after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like unto the Son of God. He keeps on abiding a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, although they come forth from the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, he received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. Now without all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better or the greater. Now here, men that die receive tithes, but there he receives them about whom it is witnessed that he keeps on living. And, as I may so say, Levi also, who receives tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he, that is, Levi, was still within the loins of his father, that is, Abraham, when Melchizedek met him, Abraham. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it 
the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise up after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he about whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe about which no man uh, or from which tribe no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang forth from Judah from which about which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest who is made not according to the law of a carnal commandment but according to the power of an endless life For God testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests, that is the Levitical priests, were made without an oath. But this priest is made with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now they truly were many priests because they were not permitted to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he keeps on continuing forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him, seeing that he ever keeps on living to make intercession for them. For such a high priest behooves us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and who has been made higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those Levitical high priests, to keep on offering up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's sins. For this he did once, that is, once and for all, when he offered up himself. For the law, 
makes men high priests who have infirmities. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, makes makes the Son, who has been consecrated forevermore, Now about the things which we have spoken, this this is the Son. We have such a high priest who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And then chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13. By this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, has sat down on the right hand of God. And from there, he keeps on expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. This message is full of hope. Starting at the beginning of the passage which we read, Hebrews 6, verse 19, the first word we read is the word hope. It declares that this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. The the hope that is being spoken about is not a maybe, I kind of wish it might be so, but the hope is an absolute, secure definite reliance upon God. Hope is the absolute conviction that things are going to get better than they are at the moment. Let me repeat that. Hope is not just a maybe. I kind of wish it were so. Hope is the absolute conviction that things are going to get better than they are at the moment. And hope is a great word in the Christian vocabulary. Every person sitting here should believe in their heart right now that things are going to get a lot better also for you and for the church and for the world than they are at the moment. Now, this hope which we have is an anchor of the soul. We need an anchor. Our soul so easily drifts backwards and forwards like the pendulum of a grandfather clock. We are swayed by every wind of doctrine. We do not have stability within ourselves. We need an anchor like a boat needs an anchor in the middle of a storm uh, which uh, digs into the solid ground beneath the sea so that at the other end of the rope the ship does not drift amid the storms of life. My dear friend, you need an anchor. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our anchor. And we have a confident, absolute conviction, a sure hope that because Jesus is our anchor, things are going to get a lot better for us and for the church and for the government and for the whole world between now and the time that Jesus finally comes when he has reduced his last enemy under his footstool. This hope we do have as an anchor of the soul. It is a sure hope. There's nothing maybe about it. It is a steadfast hope. It cannot be moved. 
And this hope that we have, the anchor at the other end of the lifeline of the boat on which you and I are traveling through life and through time, at the other end of the rope is the anchor, and that anchor goes right through inside the veil. Now you know in the Old Testament uh, sanctuary, there was a holy place into which only the Levitical priests, and indeed only some of them, were ever allowed to go. But at the far end of that holy place, there was a very holy place, the Kadosh HaKadoshim, the holiest place of all. And between the holy place, where only some priests were allowed, there was a veil or a drape or a curtain. Children like those drapes uh, in front of the windows. Uh, and behind the drapes, which were always drawn, was the holiest place of all. And the acacia wood box containing the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the uh, box, a lid with two angels looking along the whole length of the box at one another. And on that box was the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord God of Israel and of the universe himself. And into that holiest place of all, only one person, the high priest, was allowed to enter. And even he, only on one day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest place of all, on behalf of the other priests in the holy place, who represented the heads over thousands, who represented the heads over hundreds, who represented the heads over fifties, who represented the heads over ten families, who represented uh, each head of the family his family. And so when that great high priest, according to the order of Levi, went through the drape from the holy place in the temple into the holiest place of all, into the very presence of God who dwelt between the cherubs, on the top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments to the Shekinah glory, God was satisfied. Well now, our Lord Jesus Christ is our anchor at the end of our rope attached to the boat on which we are going forward in time and that anchor the Lord Jesus Christ has gone at Calvary clean through the drapes, clean through the veil, clean through the curtain, into the very presence of God himself, and Christ as our anchor in the presence of God himself is our life rope that comes from the very presence of God right down to us where we are at the other end of the lifeline. And so we see this anchor enters into that which is within the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, namely Jesus. Jesus is now in the presence of God, but he's there as our forerunner. He is there as the down payment and the guarantee that we, for whom he has entered into the presence of God, will certainly ourselves at the end of our life follow him, and because of him, and because of what he has done for us, we too will enter into that holiest place of all, which in the Old Testament temple, of course, was a picture of heaven above, 
the destination of all of God's saints. We are told that Jesus is the forerunner who has entered into that holiest place of all for us. Yes, Jesus, middle of verse 20, who has been made a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which means the righteous king. Ah, when Jesus died on the cross, you will recall that that drape, that curtain, uh, that veil in the temple was torn into two pieces from top to bottom, from God to man, showing that the flesh of Christ which it had predicted, which it had portrayed, had been torn apart on the cruel cross of Calvary in his supreme act as our great high priest, so that through the blood of Jesus, through the torn flesh of Jesus, our true drape, our true curtain, our true veil, we can enter in through his blood into the very presence of God himself. Now this Melchizedek, chapter 7 and verse 1, king of Salem, probably meaning king of Jerusalem, but the important part of Jerusalem is the Salem, not so much the Jeru. Salem means shalom. It means peace. It means it is well, it is well with my soul. It means the world is all very good, for God puts his blessing upon it. It means we have come to a state of happiness and of contentment. This Melchizedek, this uh, priest uh, king of righteousness, king of Salem, that is, prince and peace, a priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. I'm not going to go over that territory again. I've adequately covered it, I think, in the first of these four messages on Melchizedek. So if you're here for the first time, or if you missed the first message, could I encourage you to get the tape of the first message, and then when you read this verse, Hebrews 7 verse 1, you will see in a nutshell what I set out at considerable length in the first message from um, Genesis chapter 14. Now, uh, when Abraham had returned from the slaughter of the kings, Melchizedek, the great prophet, priest, and king, blessed Abraham. And to Melchizedek, verse 2, Abram also gave a tenth part of all. This Melchizedek uh, is first interpreted as king of righteousness. And a little later, it is again interpreted also as king of Salem. That is, king of peace. Not so much king of Jerusalem, though I think that too, but king of peace. For even Jerusalem was only a picture of the peace of God, and sadly, there has often been uh, enmity and hatred even within Jerusalem city. So, the city of Jerusalem is not holy in itself, but it is a holy sign which points to a much holier reality, namely the peace of God. And that's very interesting, I think, that this is what the holy writer says, King of Salem, which is King of Peace. This Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Because of that statement in Hebrews 7 verse 3, 
many consider Melchizedek to have been the pre-incarnate Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity. But I don't believe that is a correct interpretation. I think it's rather saying that we have not been told in the Old Testament who Melchizedek's father was, nor his mother, nor have we been told whom he descended from. Did he descend from Shem, or from Ham, or from Japheth? Probably from Shem, I would say. But the family tree from Shem down to Melchizedek uh, is not given us. Indeed, Shem still seems to have been alive in the days of Abraham, which is why some other people think that Melchizedek was Shem himself. At any rate, we are not given any particulars of the family tree of the ancestry of this Melchizedek, which doesn't mean he didn't have ancestors. It simply means we don't have the genealogical table of Melchizedek. Nor are we told how he ended his life. Again, that doesn't mean that he wasn't mortal. Uh, Moses, uh, we know, did uh, have his life to end, even though nobody knows where he was buried. Uh, Elijah would have died had he stayed on earth, uh, but apparently he did not die because God sent for him specially in a chariot and took him to heaven. We are not told when uh, or where Melchizedek died, but we are told, end of verse 3, that this Melchizedek was made like unto the Son of God. Notice it doesn't say Melchizedek was the Son of God, as some think. It rather says Melchizedek was made, manufactured, therefore a creature, a human being, unlike the second person of the Trinity. He was made like the Son of God. He was not the Son of God, but he was like the Son of God in many ways. And we'll see a little later in what senses Melchizedek was like the Son of God. And this Melchizedek kept on remaining a priest continually. Indeed, the priesthood of Melchizedek, which he himself occupied, is an indestructible priesthood which pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ who would later come and who would occupy that same priesthood and the priesthood as such continues forever, never terminates as did the Levitical priesthood. And once the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek has been occupied by the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Christ himself, of course, never terminates and never could. Now then, verse 4, just consider how great this man was, Melchizedek. This man to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Notice in verse 4 it states that Melchizedek is not God, and is not an angel, but that he is a man. And that should clinch this matter for us. But consider how great a man Melchizedek was. So great that even Abraham, the forefather of all the believers, Abraham, the forefather of all Christians, according to Paul, in Galatians chapter 3 at the end, Abraham paid tithes to this great man Melchizedek, who himself pointed to that yet greater Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now truly, verse 5, those who are the sons of Levi, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac, uh, 
and, uh, and Jacob. Um, the descendants of Levi, the Levites, do receive the office of the priesthood. They were born into the tribe of Le- Levi, and they were priests from their birth, but they had to wait until they reached the age of 30 years before they actively embarked on priestly duties. And they had to quit and retire when they were 50 years of age. Uh, Just 20 years that these priests were actually allowed to serve as priests. Truly, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the office or the job of the priesthood, do have a commandment to take tithes from the people according to the law. That is, to take tithes or a tenth of the income of the Hebrews from their brethren, even though the Levites came forth from the loins of Abraham, even though the Levites descended from Levi and Levi descended from Isaac and Isaac from Abraham and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, nevertheless, the people were to bring tithes, at least for a while, to the Levites. But, verse 6, he whose descent is not counted from them, the Levites, he whose descent comes from pre-Levitical and indeed non-Levitical ancestors, namely Melchizedek himself, he received tithes from Abraham, And he blessed Abraham who had the promises. So what the writer is pointing out here is that great as was Levi, great as were the descendants of Levi, the Levitical priests, far greater was Melchizedek. And far greater was the priesthood of Melchizedek than the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of Levi. Now without all contradiction. There is no question that the lesser is blessed by the better or the greater. In other words, great as Abraham, the father of all believers, was, he was very much lesser than was Melchizedek, or rather, the order of Melchizedek that pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself later said, before Abraham was... I am, I have always been, Uh, and Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Verse 8, now here, that is with the Levites, men who die received tithes from the people of Israel, but there Melchizedek receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he keeps on living, uh, about whom we never read that he died, pointing, of course, even more so to the Lord Jesus Christ, who after he died, and we're told that he did die, he has risen from the dead, and now cannot possibly ever die again in his human nature. He now keeps on living forever and ever and ever, and in his divine nature, unlike uh, Melchizedek, Uh, He never could die, never did die, and never can cease, uh, never can terminate for any reason whatsoever. Now, if I may say so, verse 9, Levi too 
the first priest of the order of the Levites, Levi too, who receives tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, all of the descendants of uh, Abraham, as it were, including Levi and the Levitical priests, they at that same time, reasons the holy writer, were paying tithes through Abraham, their ancestor, to Melchizedek. In other words, the lesser priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, were through Abraham paying tithes to the greater Melchizedek, who himself pointed to the yet greater priest, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, For Levi was still in the loins of his forefather Abraham when Melchizedek met Abraham. If therefore perfection were to be by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be that another priest should rise up according to the order of Melchizedek? This does not tell us that Melchizedek will return, but it refers to another priest, another priest than Levi, but also another priest than Melchizedek, yet a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, another priest was going to rise up after the Levitical priests, and that other priest would rise up according to the order of Melchizedek, and that last priest would not be called a priest according to the order of Aaron, uh, one of the subspecies of the Levitical priests, but according to the order of Melchizedek. For the priesthood was changed, and there was of necessity a change also of the law. For he about whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe than the tribe of Levi, uh, referring to a tribe from which nobody ever gave attendance at the altar. Of course, it's leading to the tribe of Judah, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang forth from Judah. Our Savior was not a descendant of Levi, but he was a descendant of Judah, indeed, the Lion of Judah, concerning which tribe of Judah Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So the Lord Jesus Christ, precisely because he had not descended from Levi, could not possibly be a Levitical priest. Uh, but because he was a singular priest, the first priest that had ever come forth from the tribe of Judah, a once and for all priest, a priest who once he had done his priestly work uh, would never need to be succeeded, would never need for his children, if he had ever had any children, to have taken over the priesthood from him, as did the children of Levi, set up a new priesthood, which new priesthood really is not brand new, it is the continuation of the pre-Levitical priesthood forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 15. And it is yet far more evident, for it is according to the similitude of Melchizedek that another priest rises up. Once again, Jesus is not Melchizedek, 
but he's like Melchizedek uh, according to the similitude of Melchizedek that he, this other priest, rises up. And that other priest, the Lord Jesus, has been made priest not according to the law of a carnal commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For Jesus will never ever die now that he has risen from the dead. For God testifies about Jesus, verse 17, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Of course, our Savior did die. But as he died, he was asserting his priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek because it was impossible that Jesus would stay dead. He died, he truly died, but he truly rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, God affirmed that he was already a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He had paid the utmost price, namely his own blood, not just tithes, but his own blood, the blood of the only one who ever was, the God-man, the perfect Savior. And that blood has not dried up. That blood will never be shed again. That blood has been shed once and for all. And the power of that blood is sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which causes him in his human nature to keep on living forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18, There is truly a disannulling of the commandment going beforehand because of its weakness and its unprofitableness. Uh, great as was the priesthood of Levi, it was weak. Why? Because the priests died. Uh, and it was unprofitable. Why? Because after the people had brought their tithes to the Levitical priests, they would need to bring their tithes again and again and again, constantly. But not so with the offering that Jesus, that great high priest forever, brought to God according to the order of Melchizedek, the gift which Christ brought, namely himself to God, has everlasting power that needs no subsequent augmentation by you or even by Jesus Christ once he has paid the full price of our redemption on the cross. The law made nothing perfect, verse 19. But the bringing in of a better hope did make something perfect. Remember what hope is? The solid conviction that things are going to get better. And things got a lot better the moment Jesus died and rose from the dead. There are some people who say, oh, the world's such a terrible place. The world's getting better and better. I feel like saying to them, too bad that Jesus ever came and died in the first place, if what you say is true. But how can things possibly get worse once Jesus has died and has risen from the dead? That's the great turning point of history, folks. Things got worse and worse until he died. And since he died and since he rose again, slowly but surely, things have been getting better and better all the time in your life, in my life, in the life of the nation, and in the life of all of the nations. And it will continue all the time. Better things are yet to come. Inasmuch as it is not without an oath that he was made priest, Verse 21, for those Levitical priests were made without an oath, uh, but this man, this man Jesus, was made priest with an oath, and with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord swore and will not repent. 
You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, said God, which means I, God, would self-destruct. I, God, would cease to be God if it were ever so that the priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, which has reached its zenith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, could ever cease. It cannot cease. That priesthood is permanent. It will always be with us till the end of history and indeed throughout eternity from the end of history onward. That priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power to save from the guttermost to the uttermost, is as powerful today as it has ever been in the past and cannot possibly end. God would cease to exist were it so that Christ could ever cease to be the perfect Savior of the very scum of the earth like you and I who need this kind of a Savior. God has sworn with an oath and the terms of his oath are may I cease to be God if it were possible that Jesus could ever cease to be the perfect Savior unto all eternity. Of course it's impossible that God could cease to be God. That's the whole point. It's equally impossible that Jesus the priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, could ever cease to be a priest, could ever cease to save whomsoever comes and believes in him. By so much more then, verse 22, was Jesus made a surety, a down payment, a guarantee of a better testament, a better deal than God gave the people of Israel in Old Testament times. He gave them a glorious deal but he's given us today an even better deal, an even more glorious deal. Indeed, the same deal upgraded, but upgraded. And they, the Levites, truly were many priests. But we have, after the many priests of Levi, the one and only priest, the one and only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only great high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. They truly were many priests. Why? Well, because they were not permitted to continue by reason of death. When the Levites died, that was the end of them. And their children had to take over the priesthood. But when Jesus dies, he rises from the dead. 33, 34, 35, 36 hours after that. And he needs no children or grandchildren to do his priestly work for him because the work that he did before he died and while he was dying has everlasting power and needs no augmentation by any church, by any preacher, by any pope, by any cardinal. He is Jesus. He is Lord he is the great high priest. Look at it, verse 24. But this man, this man Jesus, because he keeps on continuing forever, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. He possesses an unchangeable priesthood. The priesthood he exercised on the cross of Calvary has never changed, will never need to change doesn't need the orchestrations and the mumbo-jumbo of the Romish priests to resurrect it at their masses. His priesthood is once and for all. It is accomplished. It is finished at Calvary. Therefore, therefore, verse 25, oh, how I wish I could spend the next week just talking about this one verse. Therefore, he is able also to save them 
to the uttermost those who come unto God by Him because, because He always keeps on living to make intercession for them. Listen to those wonderful words. He is able to save. You're not able to save anybody. You can't even save yourself. You can't even save your time. Neither can I. But He is able. Jesus is able. And He is able to save. To save. To give happiness. To restore. And He is able to save to the uttermost. From the guttermost. Which may be where you are today. But He will save you to the uttermost. Save you as much as you could possibly be saved. Save you till you need no more salvation. He gives complete salvation to everyone who comes to God through Him. Through Him. He's the only way. No man comes to the Father but by Him. But through Him and through Jesus, He will save all who come from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah! What a Savior! And not only will He save them because of what He did on the cross, but because what He does on the cross, He sustains in heaven as our great High Priest. The fruits of His bloodshed He prays through into the life of His needy children because He keeps on living forever to make intercession for them. What is Jesus doing now in heaven? He is praying for you, my friend. He is praying for me. He's asking that the Father gives you strength to live the Christian life. Uh, that He puts a smile on your face and a song in your heart so that you sing psalms to His glory and so that you live to His glory in this wicked world here and now expecting Christ in heaven to use you, even you, and others like you who believe in Him as His earthly body, as His feet, through whom He will crush His enemies down through the centuries, so that when He comes back, He will come back to a saved world. What a Savior! What a Savior! This is the very kind of high priest that we need. Such a high priest behooves us. You couldn't design a better high priest for yourself if you tried. God knows the kind of priest that you and I need. And it's not the Pope of Rome, God forbid. What a monstrous thought. It's the Lord Jesus Christ is the priest that you need and I need. Such a high priest behooves us. One who is holy. One who is harmless. One who is undefiled. One who is separate from sinners, yet surrounded by sinners whom he loves, those that repent and one who has been made higher than the heavens. Our priest doesn't live in the Vatican, folks. Our priest lives in heaven, as high as you can possibly get. And that's the kind of priest we need. And this priest that we have, the Lord Jesus, verse 27, does not need each day, like the high priests of the Levitical order did need each day, first to offer up a sacrifice for his own sins, for the sins of the Levitical priest, before he offers uh, sacrifice on behalf of his people. For you see, the Lord Jesus had no sins uh, in respect of which he needed to make any sacrifice to God. Uh, no, he is not a priest like the Levitical priests, 
who first needed to bring a sacrifice to God for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Uh, but this great high priest that we have, this high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, this Lord Jesus Christ, he offers up a sacrifice once and for all when he offered up himself. Well-meaning Protestants who misrepresent Rome lie and say that Rome brings different sacrifices to God. That's not true. Be very careful you never, never paint Rome blacker than she is. But nevertheless, the notion of Rome that the Mass is a continuation of Calvary is an abomination. It's an abomination because Calvary is finished and we operate from the finished work of Jesus once and for all. How can Rome allege that the Mass is the same sacrifice of Calvary if it's still continuing when the Bible says it's past tense? The sacrifice was brought perfectly, past tense, once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high priests, the Levitical priests, who have infirmities, but not so with Jesus, the great high priest according to the, 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 uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek. The word of the oath, which came since the law, makes the Son a great high priest who has been consecrated forevermore. Nearly finished. Now, Concerning the things which we have been speaking about in this way, the following is the sum, the sum total, the summary. Here's the, here's the end of the matter. Here's the gist of the matter, as lawyers love to say. We have such a high priest who has sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And chapter 10 Verse 12 and 13, with which I close, this man Jesus, after he had finished offering one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. And from now on, from henceforth, he is expecting, he is looking forward until the time that his enemies will be made his footstool. What is Jesus doing now in heaven? He is expecting his enemies to be crushed and to reduced into submission to him. And that is the ultimatum that Jesus Christ gives today through his word, the ultimatum that I as his servant would present to you today. Repent or perish. If you do not repent, if you do not come to this great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not put all of your hope on him, your solid conviction that things are going to get better for you for Christ's sake. You will perish in your sins, covenanter though you be, and so would I, Presbyterian though I be. You need to come to Jesus, my friend. And if you've already done it, you need to come to Jesus afresh. You need to keep on coming to Jesus. This is not a once and for all deal of signing the decision card at some Billy Graham circus 25 years ago and I'm so happy and here's the reason why Jesus took my burdens all away. This is daily coming to Jesus. This is daily confessing my fresh sins to Jesus. Forgive me my trespasses 
as I forgive those who trespass against me. Our Saviour taught us to pray. Have you done that? Have you reconfessed your fresh sins to Jesus, the only Saviour, today? You need to do it, and you need to do it now. To ask God in Christ to forgive you your fresh sins as a Christian on the basis of that once and for all shed blood of the Lord Jesus that was shed for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and then to realize, to realize that Jesus is using even the likes of you and me as his hands, as his feet, to march forward, to proclaim that he is the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, until decade after decade and century after century, we are his tools, infused by his Spirit, who will finally bring about the reduction of all people that on earth do dwell as a footstool under the feet of this great, 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 greater Melchizedek, our prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God burn his holy word deeply into your soul and into mine. Amen.